The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Well, uh, it is time that we open up to the book of Ecclesiastes. So, come with me in the Old Testament to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. You'll find it on page 559. This is our second to last uh, study in the book of Ecclesiastes. We approach next week, Lord willing, chapter 12 and the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. And it's been quite, quite a road. Uh, hasn't it? If you've been with us along the way as we studied Ecclesiastes or here and there, we have really been uh, diving into the message of the preacher in Ecclesiastes. That's what uh, the writer of this book calls himself. He doesn't identify himself with a name, but just rather the preacher, the teacher. And along the way, he's been gathering a crowd and saying, let me talk to you about life. Let's talk about life and all of its strangeness, all of its intricacies, all of its mysteries and all the things that we can't figure out if we are only trying to think about life through a secular worldview. If you only think about life on a horizontal plane, just the things of this earth, you will be left with vexation and frustration and endless dead end after dead end and a lack of fulfillment for ultimate meaning, the preacher says. You won't find ultimate meaning if you're looking ultimately on a horizontal plane. What, what, what must we do to find real, lasting significance and meaning, not only for our lives forever, but for our day-to-day, -day ordinary moments? We have to look vertically. We have to consider our life before God. The language of under heaven compared to under the sun is the difference between a secular view of life and a view of life that factors God in. You're here because you believe that. Because God is a reality in your life and you want to understand what he calls you to do as you live this life and grow deeper in that understanding. So, the preacher has been leading us in that growing in understanding. Well, we come to chapter 11 this morning, and uh, we find a really encouraging word, wonderfully encouraging words, and uh, some directions that on the surface are really going to confuse us. But then, Lord willing, hopefully, by God's Spirit, we'll be led to an understanding of them, and most of all, a sincere and heartfelt application of what God says. You know, the book of James says, don't be like the man who stands in front of the mirror and never understands and never sees. Don't look at the word and never really believe it or uh, live it out. We want to not only see the scriptures, we want to live what the scriptures teach. So, as we prepare to hear the word of God this morning from Ecclesiastes 11, let's pause. Let's ask God's blessing because we need his help. Uh, and then we will hear the word together. Let us pray. Well, Lord our God, how good and right it is that we gather to say that you are our God and we are your people. We pause now in humility to say that you are the author of life and its designer. That we must learn from you. Father, we do not make you our student. We do not teach you or inform you of anything. But instead, Lord, we sit humbly at your feet. Be taught to receive from the fountain of life what we must do to live and please you. And so come now, Lord, in the kindness of your spirit and in the mercies of Jesus, teach us the way of life and bless it to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And now hear the word of God from Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Head and cast your bread upon the waters. This is the word of God. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way, of the, the, way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet and is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. So, let us keep our Bibles open in Ecclesiastes 11 as we seek to know what the preacher is saying to us. Uh, so do keep your Bible open. So, the days of our lives. I've never seen the TV show. I understand that it's one of the longest-running soap operas in the history of whatever. The days of our lives. What are you doing with the days that God has given you in your life? That's what this chapter is about. What are the days of your life? What is your life leading toward? What is your life producing? What are you involved in? What are you associated with? These things and more is what the preacher is on about. More specifically, the question that this chapter is really after is, do the things that we do for God really matter at the end of the day? Your attendance and worship, your speaking about Jesus at home, when we pray for a friend or a loved one, do our prayers really matter? Do they make a difference? Is it significant at all? When we perhaps give money to support a ministry, does it really make a difference? When we speak about Jesus and yet people seem so disinterested, uh, maybe it's your children, maybe it's your children and your grandchildren, your friend, your own spouse, whomever, a co-worker, a neighbor, a friend. When you try to interact and be a living, breathing Christian witness in their life, oftentimes we wonder, is this making any difference? What am I doing with the days of my life? Is it making any spiritual impact whatsoever? If we're honest, most of the time, we would say the answer is no. We feel that we're not making a difference, right? We feel that we are just kind of chipping along, not making any difference. Does it even matter? With that question in mind, does my spiritual obedience to Christ matter? That question is how you should read this chapter. Our text enters into that question of, does it even matter? 
by giving us some wonderful encouragement. But in order to give us that encouragement, you have to pass through the veil of two really weird commands, which on the surface seem really hard to understand. And they come away uh, right at the beginning in verse 1 and verse 2 with two verbs that on the surface seem pretty clear, cast and give. And we know what those words mean, but they're including in this command that is poetic and weird and strange. What does it even mean? This imagery of how we go about asking, does our life matter, is to be filtered through this command, too, in verse 1. Look at it with me. Cast your bread upon the waters, and you will find it after many days. And in verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight, that you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. Now, I don't know if how often you have this experience. I'm not going to say that you never have the experience. I know for a fact that you do. Sometimes sit and listen to the preacher and you say, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And I have no clue what he's talking about. And I think perhaps that happens in verses 1 and verse 2. Now, when I think about casting bread upon the waters, I can't think about, you know, help but think about feeding the ducks as a kid in the park, right? What comes to mind when you think casting bread upon the waters, But I understood then as a young boy, what I certainly understand now, that when I cast my bread, I don't expect to get it back, right? And if I did get it back, I don't want it. Soggy, it's been picked over by the ducks, nibbled at by the fish, don't want it back. When we cast our bread upon the water, we think it's going to get eaten, soaked up enough water to sink or disintegrate. But, and again, it's a metaphor, isn't it? The preacher is saying something and means something deeper. So there's got to be some options about what this means. I wonder if we got a group together and we said, what do you think that means? I bet you we could come up with a lot of answers as to what that means. And actually, biblical scholars do that same thing. There are at least three different ways of understanding what in the world cast your bread upon the waters means. The first one is that they think it's a suggestion for philanthropy, for generosity, to be generous in the casting out of our aid and resources to people in need. And the more generous we are, perhaps it will one day come back to us in generosity, a reciprocity of generosity, if you will, casting out so that it might return back to us. Well, though there is a degree of that, I don't think that that's really what this means. What goes around comes around, what goes around comes back around. I don't think that's what that means. Another, perhaps, some people suggest is this idea of being industrious, of taking advantage of the times and seasons. Some commentators even suggest that this idea of casting bread is actually a reference to sowing seeds and sowing seeds in the flood plains of the Nile River in Egypt and planting the seeds in the fields that are flooded just as the waters start to recede so that you're ahead of the game when the harvest comes and you'll actually have planted the seed rather than waiting. Well, you really have to read a lot into that to get that. I don't really know if that's helpful either, especially because he says bread, not seed. So, isn't it helpful to know what it's not? So what is it? What does this mean? Cast your bread upon the waters. Just get on with it, right? What does it mean? It's most likely a metaphor, actually, for economics. Sending grain or other produce out upon the sea and then waiting for ships to return with other goods from foreign lands in some form of trade. That is to say, in the sense, to find it after many days is to receive the reward of taking the risk of sending it out that something might come back to us. Or another way of saying it is, we would say in the modern age, 
Nothing ventured, nothing gained. That's this idea here in verse 1. So what, spiritually, what is that, what is that on about? Well, that's the message in chapter 11. The preacher wants you to think about your life that way. The preacher wants you to think about your spiritual life as nothing ventured, nothing gained, or to consider our lives before God about how we are investing our lives in things that matter, how we give our resources, our time and talents and gifts and finances to things that matter as we cast out that we might receive back. All of this and more, he's asking under this question, how are you investing your life? How are you investing your life? Verse 2 makes a similar but slightly different point when he talks about giving a portion to seven or even to eight is a way of saying don't put all your eggs in one basket, a diversified portfolio, diversified investments, whatever. So cast your bread upon the waters, seven waters, eight waters. Why? And how come? The preacher says, because you don't know what disaster is going to come. You don't know what disaster is going to happen upon the earth. He means that life is full of mysteries. Life is full of mysteries, isn't it? Things that you don't understand. Questions that are left unanswered. And Ecclesiastes has been on about that throughout this whole book. There are uncertainties and misfortunes laced all through life. Aren't there? And that's just a reality of life in this fallen world, strife, war, pandemics, famine, financial collapse. Ecclesiastes calls upon us to plan for an uncertain and probably unfortunate realities in the future. If we're wise, our diversified investments pay off in the end, and that bread that we cast out will come back to us. So this is where we pause and say, don't you love the book of Ecclesiastes? Or if you didn't before, are you growing to love the book of Ecclesiastes? The book of Ecclesiastes has become, at least in my mind anyway, the most real-life, raw, gut-punching, in-your-face book in the whole canon of Scripture. Life's hard. Things happen in your life that aren't fair. What are you doing with that life? With hard things and unfair things and mysterious realities all around you. What are you doing with that life? Well, the message here is to invest our life for the sake of eternity, for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's what the call to cast your bread upon the waters ultimately means in spiritual application. It is a call to invest and spend for the sake of eternity. But why, does, why, why that metaphor? What a weird metaphor, isn't it? It's so futile, soggy bread. Gross, right? Why that picture? That's the beauty of the metaphor, though, because what seems futile and what seems unlikely and what seems in a way that's totally upside down, what seems what doesn't make a difference, what seems like it's not doing any good is actually by the power of God making a huge difference for the sake of his kingdom. And if we are living that way, our lives will make a difference even if you can't see it. That's the big picture here. Casting your bread upon the waters, what a foolish enterprise. But that's what we do. Follow it. Watch how he says this. Watch how he explains this. This is what Jesus also teaches. 
teaches it in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Ecclesiastes is likewise saying, don't bury your talents. Don't hoard your talents. Cast them out. Use your life for the sake of an eternal purpose in a meaningful way. Spend them. Cast them out. Seven or eight portions. It's not exclusively talking about money. It's talking about time, talents, resources, gifts, abilities, whatever the case might be. It's talking about everything that we do for the sake of God's kingdom, both in our individual lives and in the church. Casting out bread upon the waters. Here we go. It's the kingdom of God. So what does that look like? in your life and in the life of the church? Well, in our individual lives, it's this. Every single act of kindness, every single merciful word to a hard-to-get-along-with neighbor, every single grace and charity, every single relationship that you invest in, Every single Sunday school child that you teach, every single worship service that you attend, every single sermon that you listen to and Bible verses that you read, every single spiritual conversation you engage in, even the uncomfortable ones, are all a part of the economy of God's kingdom and make a difference. Every single thing. Do you believe it? brings about fruit. It makes a difference. The Bible tells us that it's not up to us to bring about the fruit. It's our responsibility to cast out the seed or to carry the metaphor from verse 1, cast the bread out upon the waters. And who knows what God will do with it? Who knows? Okay? That's an individual application, but sit tight on that because we'll come back. That's for the individual life. What about the church? What about the church and its enterprises and what we're doing? You ever think about that? Do you ever evaluate that? I mean, I do all the time, of course, being the pastor, but do you ever evaluate what we're doing here corporately as a church? Speaking of the church, this is what it means. It means that all of our ministry, all of our Bible teaching, all of our live streams that we were forced into and did really poorly for a couple of weeks until we figured it out and did it a little bit better, all of our events, all of our ministries, all of our VBS efforts, it all matters. Deeply and significantly, even though some of the things that we attempt might fail, even though some of the ministries that we engage in might not be received, even though some of the events might not be wonderfully attended, some of the missions that we partner with, some of those things might fall flat on their face, some of those things might fail, some of those things begin with great bursts of energy and then fizzle out very quickly, but we keep going because everything that the church does matters for the sake of the kingdom. Industrious and enterprising, knowing that this is the way of God's kingdom. One of my friends in ministry says it this way, and it's profound. You ready? He says, what the church should do is pray and then try stuff. I love it. Pray and then try stuff. Who knows? Send it out. Cast it out upon the waters and then trust the Lord with it. Do you see what this is, see what this is doing? We're going to come back to the, the individual and the corporate here, but do you see it's the opposite of what the preacher describes here? So often paralyzing people like the farmer in verse 4. It's this picture of the farmer in verse 4 standing out in the field, looking at the sky and saying, it might be too windy. 
so I shouldn't plant. It might rain, so I should never harvest. Doesn't sow, doesn't reap, just standing out there doing nothing. The potential of struggle means that they never start in the first place. By using this illustration, the preacher is saying something really practical. It's, it's asking and addressing us this. Like, what do you do when things seem out of your control or when you fear that something bad might happen? Do you do nothing? It might go wrong. I might feel awkward. I might not say it right, so I just won't. You're the farmer that's out in the field saying, well, it might, might be windy. It might rain, so I should never start. Some people are so paralyzed by fear that they procrastinate so much, like the farmer saying, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. And spiritually, we end up not doing anything. That mindset leaves us paralyzed. Rather than watching the wind and the clouds, imagining all the difficulties and waiting for better circumstances, we should, in the wisdom of my friend, pray and try stuff. We should try and do what we can with whatever God has given us in this life. So let me ask you incredibly practically, what is God calling you to do in your life? What is God calling you to do in the enterprise of your investments in Christ's kingdom? Because he's not calling you to do nothing. He's not calling you to look at the sky saying, oh boy, I think it might rain. He's calling you to do something. Now friends, we, we need this in our church. We need this in our church. We need, we need people who want to serve as deacons. We need people who want to serve on the mission committee. We need people who want to serve in all sorts of different capacities. Actually, we were just having a conversation among the deacons in the session, uh, or the deacons in the mission committee a couple weeks ago, about we want to engage our community more effectively. We want to do more to reach out. Wonderful. What do we need to do? Cast it out. See what happens. See what sticks. We should pray and try stuff. Do you want to be a part of the trying stuff? I do. We should pray and try stuff and go for it. Scatter your gifts, your resources, because you don't know. That's the point, ultimately. You don't know. The, the, the mindset to be spiritually enterprising for the sake of the kingdom is encouraged because of what he says in verse 5. You don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Look at what he says in verse 5. As you do not know the way of the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child... So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. What's that? What's that? We know more. We know more than the writer of Ecclesiastes about biology and anatomy and the birth of children. We know more information, but it shouldn't decrease our wonder at the reality. That's what this is getting at. The preacher is saying we should consider the wonderful things that God can do. The wonderful things that God can do by His Spirit. Wonderful things that are oftentimes absolutely mysterious at the same time. His point is, you don't know what will be, so you should just go and try. Even though that there will be sometimes unhappy providences, sometimes things will fail, sometimes you'll feel awkward, sometimes you'll feel embarrassed, sometimes things won't be successful, sometimes we'll ask, why did God take this from me and I wanted to keep it, or why did God give this to me and I didn't want it, sometimes the unsuspected providences that God brings into our lives will be difficult, other times the unsuspected providences will be wonderfully happy. I could never have planned my life 
the way God did. I could never have worked this out the way the Lord did. Wonderful providences, mysteries that we'll never completely understand, hidden in the minds of God's eternal wisdom. Why is it that Jesus has set his affection upon me? Why is it that I am able to read and understand this scripture that so many people just stumble over the wonderful providences of God? The whole point of all of this, the preacher is saying, you don't know the work of God. You don't know the infinite mysteries hidden in the eternal counsel of God's infinite wisdom. So you shouldn't try to be him. Instead, you should be faithful to him and do what he commands and cast it out and see what will happen. Or in the words of Job, God does great and unsearchable things, marvelous things without number. You want what the book of Ecclesiastes is saying? You're not God. I'm not God. He is. Aren't you glad that I'm not God? I'm glad that you're not. I love you, but I'm glad that you're not God. There is but one God, one eternal purposes, hidden in the mysteries of his will, and we go out in faithfulness, and God's word never returns empty, always accomplishes it purpose, its purposes. So all of that is asking, so, so what are you doing with that life of yours? How are you investing it? What difference are you making for the sake of God's economy of his infinite eternal kingdom? And then the preacher applies it even further. He's been asking, how are you investing your life? Now, now, he's got two kinds of people in mind. Don't you love when the Bible is really practical and straightforward? I, I do. The Bible says here, I've got two kinds of people in mind that I want to speak to. Those of you, don't be offended, those of you who are looking back on life with gray hair saying, it's all behind me. And those of you looking forward, full of life, energy, and ambition, saying, it's all in front of me. He's speaking to both now. You ready? Something to say to both of these people. In light of that, whoever you are or wherever you fall in that spectrum as you evaluate your life, he says, well, first of all, what we should say in verse 7, light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. This is Ecclesiastes' version of I see trees of green and red roses too. You know, I see them bloom for me and you, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world that God has made. What are we doing with it? What are we doing in it? This is a pleasant life under heaven, in the sight of God, but these are also limited days. The wisdom of God is to know that our time is limited. So what are we doing with it? He's constantly coming back to this. He says, rejoice. Rejoice all of your days because you don't know how many days you're going to have. Verse 8. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So he's speaking to two kinds of people here again. First of all, young people, Whoever you are, you want to consider yourself categorized in that, young people? I, I, heard, I heard somebody refer to somebody who's in their 70s as a good boy, okay? Uh, they were much older than that person, nevertheless. <clears throat> Rejoice, O young man in your youth. Verse 9. What is Ecclesiastes' message to young people? It's this. You ready? Be happy. Be happy. While you're young, don't worry. Be happy. Now you might say, 
What a weird thing, because I'm trying to work on a different lesson with my teenager, you might be thinking, right? Telling teenagers to relax. No, I want them to get moving, get out of bed, go get a job, get working, right? Quit sleeping in. And here's Ecclesiastes saying, rejoice, no, be happy. Be happy with your life. Kids today, teenagers especially, they're so overwhelmed with so many things, stress, relationship, consumed, they're anxious, they're filled with all these thoughts and opinions. The Bible is calling upon you, young people, not to be careless, but to be carefree in some sense. You might say, what a weird thing. But the Bible is calling upon you not to be indifferent or irresponsible, but it is calling upon you to realize that while you're young, you should enjoy your life because you won't always be young. Your hair won't always be the color that it is. Your hair won't always have the same amount. Children, teenagers, you're so worried about your lives and it's all of your varied stages. What happens? When you're 10, you can't wait to be a teenager. Then you can't wait to get a permit. Then you can't wait to drive. Then you can't wait to be 18. Then you can't wait to whatever and move on out. You just wished away a decade of your life. That decade matters, the Bible says. That decade matters. The Bible is calling upon you now, young people, students, whether you're in elementary school, middle school, high school, graduating high school, it's calling upon you now to say to you, you are not too young to make serious commitments about where your life is headed. Now. I wish somebody would have said that to me when I was a teenager. This combination of, look, chill out a bit, okay? Be happy, but also get serious about something too. Don't idolize being young. Don't dread not being young. Whether you are old or whether you are young, the Bible says, enjoy your life before God. Be faithful with it. But, this is especially relevant to students, don't forget that you have finals. Don't forget that you have a final exam. Now all of you have already taken your final exams, but that's what verse 9 says though, isn't it? But there's going to be an examination at the end. An examination that is fair and factual and final. So you're being called now to put away pain from your body, which is another way of saying put away trouble from your body, put away evil from your body. Young people who want to be old, old people who just wish they were young again. Wishing away our years in both directions instead of being industrious and fruitful for the sake of God's kingdom right now, wherever we are, with whatever gifts we have. The preacher says, that's all vanity to think about life that way because youth and the dawn of life are vanity. It passes like a mist. It comes quickly, and then it's gone. What are you doing with your life? God himself is the eternal foundation, the only one to build upon. Whether you are young, whether you are old, don't idolize the other, but look to the Lord. This is what Ecclesiastes is saying, so that we could find life that is really life. Of all people in the world, the Christian believer should enjoy their life and should rejoice with all the good things that God has given for the purpose of his eternal kingdom. We should be distinct from an unbelieving world that is living only for temporal things, whose joy is going to be extinguished. We have a joy that will last. A joy that should carry us throughout our lives, young to old, that we might have, in the words of Jesus, 
abundant life. So here the Bible is saying to you, what a simple message. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your life for the purposes of God's kingdom and make it count. Make it count. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it confronts us. We pray now that by your spirit that you would search each of us. You would search our hearts to show us what we must more deeply cling to and what we must let go of. Lord, stir in us a desire for your kingdom and for our lives to truly and really count for Jesus' sake, the author of life, we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit Edgington epc.org. May God bless and keep you.